We've been uh, journeying through James for quite some time now, and we're just now in the last part of chapter two. And, you know, we've been talking about instruction and, and how that applies to um, the faith, and we've been saying this a lot, but I think it's worth saying repeating because we need to have an understanding that, you know, our instruction, our laws are. It, it, come, it has to come on the right side of grace or, or you will get it all um, out of order and, and, it, and it will just contaminate or um, taint the gospel. And um, so we've been talking about, uh, well, last week we talked about showing partiality and, and how he used that as instruction. And, and you know, the, the instruction side of Scripture basically coincides or works in tandem with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, Paul put it this way in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the Word of God. And that, I don't believe that Scripture just applies to initial faith. I think it is your ongoing faith, because as we continue to grow in the knowledge of grace, your, your faith, you experience it, and then it becomes stronger, and you build as a compound effect. And, um, and as you endure the things of this world. And so, so faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the Word of God. So the Word of God comes alongside the Holy Spirit that resides within us to do the initial work of salvation, but it also does the work of sanctification in our spiritual growth and our journey. And even though James uses the first part of chapter 2 as more instruction of what we should do, he kind of uses that last part of that chapter um, as a more a reflection of who we are. And um, so it, instruction could be used for, yeah, like this is what you do is application or what not to do. But it also can serve as an illustration, as a mirror that we can examine ourselves in to make sure that we are of the faith. And so we're going to be talking about um, faith and works tonight. And this is a passage probably that if you've been in church any length of time, you've probably heard this preached or, and taught in some capacity, but it's such a sobering passage as you read it because it gives us something to consider. It's a spiritual consideration or a heart evaluation um, that we get when we encounter this passage. So let's look at James 2, starting in verse 14 through 26. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? Also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You do not want to be shown, or excuse me, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son up Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And Scripture was fulfilled when saying, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. 
You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works. And she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And so, guys, uh, I've... You know, as I've been hanging out with some of you guys, I've been learning new terminologies lately, and there's some of them pretty intriguing. Like the other night, when we, or I say the other night, a couple weeks ago, we had pizza rolls after awaking. Y'all remember that? Some of y'all remember that? And guys, let me tell you what, I tried one of those things. I'm sorry we served that to you. That's, that, those things are nasty. How many people in here like those things? Like two of y'all. That's what I, that's what I gather. Like, like only two of y'all. And um, so, but anyway, Kirby was in there and she was eating one of the pizza rolls and she said, these pizza rolls slap. <laughs> and so I was like, do what? You know, she, and she goes, they slap. And I was like, slap what? And I mean, y'all slapped them in the oven when y'all heated them up. And you need to be slapped for cooking these things and serving them. And um. But anyway, I learned, I learned a new terminology. They slap. I guess that means they're good. And, um, and then I, this, on the ski trip, I learned bussing. So, but we were actually on two buses. And so I was like, man, we were bussing 100 people across the, the whole continent last in the March. You know, but, but, but my generation, we had terminologies too. I mean, don't, I mean we, we, we had our heyday in, as far as our phrases and terminology. You know, everything was sick, and we didn't use dope. Um, that was a bad word, actually, you know, because if you had dope at school, you're probably going to get caught. And, uh, but we used words sick. We used a phrase that was kind of, I don't know if it came from a TV show or something, but but the phrase was, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. And, and so th- when we encounter a passage like this, it's kind of like James is saying, it's like, hey, let's check ourselves um, um, before, you know, eternally we wreck ourselves. And so the, the challenge is tonight is, is uh, let's, let's, let's really examine our faith and see what we b- really believe. So... And here's the point number one. If you truly believe something, it will affect your behavior. If you truly believe something, it will affect your behavior. When I was a little kid, I would do this a lot. Like, I had this fear that well, something was underneath my bed. And, um, and so when I would cut the light off, I, even though it was dark, I knew where I was to jump to land in my bed so nobody would grab my leg as I was getting in the bed. I always had that fear of something being under my bed. And, um, and so I would shut that light out and then make a leap of faith, you know. And then but I had a big queen-size bed. I don't know why, but when I was a kid, that's what my mom and dad gave me. But, but I landed in it, and nothing ever grabbed me. And, and so, but here's the deal. Because I really believed that, I acted on that. Like, I did something really, really foolish as a kid jumping to get in my bed because I really believed that there, that there could be something underneath my bed that would grab me. Now, here's the deal. About seven, uh, probably about five years later, my dad would always come tell us boys goodnight, my, me and my two brothers, before he went to bed. He went to bed really early because 
he was an old fogey and he had to get up and go to work the next morning. And so a lot of times he went to bed before us. And so he came in there to get his water and, and he was going to, he told us good night and everything else. So I ran back in his room and I crawled up underneath his bed. And, and so when he came around to tuck, to turn the covers down, I reached out and grabbed his leg and it scared him to death. And he kicked the metal bed frame and like broke the, like, the, like started bleeding and everything else. And, um, and so he yanked me from out underneath the bed and, and, um, and he gave me the spanking of my life at that time. And, um, and, but I was thinking to myself, as like, he's like, you know what? The only thing I was used to be scared of, I'm going to do that to my dad. <laughs> and um, so, but anyway, you act upon what you believe. The other night I was coming home and, and I found a copperhead in my, on my carport. And so I ran over it and, and I got out and I finished killing it and I threw it off in the woods well, later on that night, I had to go back out to pick up my daughter. And as I was walking in the dark to go to my car, I was like, wait a minute. I said, I'm going to turn my light on my phone on just to make sure. Because I turned it on just to make sure I don't step on a snake. And sure enough, there was another one out there. Guys, we act on what we believe. If we believe something, we're going to do, or, or it's going to modify, or it's going to dictate our behavior on what we truly believe. And so if you truly believe something, it will cause you to act accordingly. We practice faith every day. I mean, we have the three oldest bridges in Louisiana going over to the interstate. Y'all know that? Did y'all know that? We have the three oldest bridges in Ruston um, going over the interstate. We, we, we practice faith every day. We go over those things. I mean, if you ever looked at one on Tech Drive, that thing's patched all up. I mean, it's bad. And I think one uh, Steve Blaney from Calvary told me one time, he said, you could see the interstate through one part of it at one time. But guess what? We exercise faith. We believe that thing is going to hold us up. You know what? When that red light turns green, we, ga we gas it and go on over. We y'all we have faith in your education. Y'all come to Louisiana Tech, banking on the fact that you're going to receive a solid education that will prepare you for a what? A job, right? And y'all go through great lengths. Y'all going to stay up late at night and study? I mean, I guess. I mean, I, I did sometimes. Um, y'all going to, y'all are going to, you know, pay all kinds of money to go to college? And y'all have this belief that, that once you receive that solid education, that you're going to get a job. You know, when you aboard an airplane, I mean, there, there's got to be a lot of components that work in sync with one another to send that big old piece of metal in the air, right? And But yet, I mean, I've flown multiple times. You know, time after time, I just get to go through that runway and through that, uh, that, that pike or whatever you got and get right on there and believe everything is going to work and then we're going to take off. So we exercise a, a, a faith every day, but we put our faith in so many things that are so man-made or temporary. Why is it so hard for us sometimes to put our faith in God? Because the reality of it is we live in the buckle of the Bible belt. Now, I know everybody doesn't, isn't from the Bible belt. I mean, I've been meeting people from Portland, been meeting people from Las Vegas. I've been meeting people from all over the country. we got people from Africa that come over here to go to school. And so we get to meet all kinds of people from different places. But at the same time, for the most part, a lot of us are from the Bible belt. And so we learn lingo 
we, 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 we develop our own little subculture. But when the rubber meets the road, it's, it's hard to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And let me use this, this, this as an illustration. You know, I got this chair right there, and it, it seems really solid. It has four legs. It's really, really cushiony and everything else. But I really do believe that this chair will hold me up. And so what I do, I put my faith and trust in it time after time. I, I will come back tomorrow and put this chair in the same spot and sit in it in the same way that I just did. You know why? Because I believe that will hold me up. But here's the thing is, we as believers sometimes, we sit here and we, like, we, we look at it and we talk about it. And we say, hey, yeah, this thing is it's a nice chair. It's sturdy. And then we come around on the other side of it. It's like, yeah, man, this, thing, this thing's nice. It's got a lot of cushion. I bet you can sit in It's kind of like old Forrest Gump with the shoes. Like, those are nice running shoes. I bet you can run all day in those things. You can sit all day in this. But yet, sometimes as Christians or whatever, or even as those who have never put their faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, we sit there and we hover over it. We won't put our faith in it. We can talk the talk and we can walk the walk or, or we, can, we can say all the right things, but yet we don't ever just rest in trust. I'm not going to tell you what this looks like. So, that was a joke, guys. Y'all can laugh. Y'all get what I'm saying. Garrison gets intern of the week. But here's the deal. Faith is only as valid as is, is, is the object. Meaning that you will respond accordingly if you truly believe in the object. And when it comes to our faith in Christ, we're going to respond accordingly if we truly believe that Christ, first of all, came, died, rose, and that he's coming again. So in an anticipating hope that he's coming again, we're going to respond accordingly. So let's look at verse 21. It says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac at the altar? You see, the faith was active alone, active alone by his word, works, and faith was completed by his works. Excuse me. When you, let me read that again. You see that the faith was active alone with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And Scripture was fulfilled it says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. See, here was, here's what James is talking about. He's using an Old Testament illustration to reiterate his point about faith without action is dead. And so what, what happened, just to make sure we don't make any assumptions in here, is that God called Abraham in Genesis to be the, the, the father of many nations. He told him, gave him this big promise, like, hey, you're going to have, you see the stars in the sky, those are going to be your descendants and everything else. But here's the problem. Abraham and Sarah didn't have a child yet. So how is that going to be if they didn't even have one child? And so a miracle finally happened. I mean, because here's the deal. They were on up in age. And the one thing that the nursing home does, I've never seen nursing home have a delivery room, Right? And so, but what happened? A miracle transpired. A barren lady had a child, and that was their, their what that was going to carry out the lineage of Abraham. And but yet, God told him, "It's like, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up on this mountain, and I want you to sacrifice your son to me." That didn't make a lick of sense, right? Logic 
you know, here's the deal, because our faith is sometimes challenged, or our logic is sometimes challenged by faith. But it didn't make a lick of sense, but what, what Abraham did is that he was obedient by faith because they say that Abraham truly believed that Isaac could be brought back to life and that God was going to be faithful and true to his word. But if you know the story is that when Abraham did so, God stopped him and he provided a sacrifice. And that was foreshadowing of what Christ was going to do for us in providing his son for our sacrifice as a substitutionary atonement. And so again, verse 25, in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. Again, another Old Testament passage when Joshua was taken over Jericho in Joshua 2. It was a prostitute who was a, a, a woman in the, that was part of the Jericho culture who received messengers and hid them to keep them from getting killed and sent them away. You know why I believe she did that? Because she heard that the Israel was coming through and was conquering kingdoms or conquering in, um, uh, cultures, and then he, she believed that God was going to do the same thing with Jericho. And what happened? That God was merciful, and they spared Rahab. Not only she was a part of Jericho, but she was a prostitute. And that's a cool thing, guys, because here you got Abraham as an illustration, you got Rahab as an illustration. We all come under the same through the same means to salvation, and that is through faith in Christ. Number two, if you truly believe something, it will affect your mindset. It will affect your thinking. James is not saying works of salvation because Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so he's not saying basically works is your salvation. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, that works is not your salvation, it's your identification. It proves the fact that you are saved. You know, just most of y'all are tech students, y'all got a tech ID, right? And that tech ID, you go scan that puppy, you can go get in a football game. And like, all right, have they cracked down on that where y'all can like lend your ID out and get in a football game? Can you still do that? You can't do that anymore. They crack down on it, right? And um, so, but used to, you can, you know, you can lend it out to your buddy and they get, but, but here's the deal. It wasn't you. Now you got an ID that represents you. They can scan that barcode and has all your parking tickets and everything else that you got to pay up before they release all your records and all whatnot. But it identifies you as a tech student. It validates you as a tech student. What works to us in our salvation, it brings validity to what you believe in. It says, if salvation, if salvation could be attained by any other means other than Jesus' finished work, the work of, of Christ, then the work that he did would have been in vain. But he's, here's the deal. Jesus even begged God in the Garden of Gethsemane to, to, to take this cup away from him. And, and God did not do so, meaning that there was no other way for us to be saved. So there was no other means by works or there's no other way that we can be saved but through our faith in Jesus Christ, right? And so he levels the playing field there. So, but so if we can be saved by any of our works, then, then, then what Christ did would have been in vain. But look at verse 18. But what someone will say, you have faith and I have works, 
Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. See, here's the deal about Abraham's works. Because Abraham's faith brought, was justified. His faith was what justified him with God. But Abraham's works is what justified him with man. Did y'all get that? Abraham's works and Rahab's works, are their, excuse me, their faith is justified them with God. But if we're going to ever be justified with man and bring validity that we truly believe, is that it's going to be by our works. It's our identification. So it brings validation. It is, our works is a byproduct of our belief system. Is a, is a byproduct of what we believe. As, as Jesus put it in John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who buys in me and I in you will bear much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. So basically, the end result is the fruit that we bear because of who we are in Christ. And so it's a byproduct. Your works should be the same thing. In verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith. It sounds like James is contradicting Paul's writing in Ephesians 2, 8. It says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not of works, unless any man should boast. But he wasn't contradicting. He was just saying that our works is validation. And guys, it, it changes our mind the way we think about our deeds. Because if you're not a born-again believer, your works is just going to frustrate you to no end. You know why? Because you can never do anything good enough. And then, then when you stand before God, did you even do enough before God? And so you don't ever know. You don't ever have that, that solidification or that solidifying factor in your life <clears throat> because you don't know if you're doing things good enough. So your works is going to do nothing but frustrate you. And that's why we see so many who grow up in the church and they do all these things and they come to a realization that, that did it mean anything? And then you see them falling away from the church because of it. So by faith, we're justified, but by our works, we're justified by man. So it changes our mindset, mindset the way we think about works and grace. And the last thing is you truly believe something, it will affect your surrounding. Look at verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So he's basically saying, hey, if you don't fulfill the need, you know, what good is your faith if you're supposed to be about the other person? Why are we supposed to be about the other person? Because that's what Christ set the example, right? And so, that's, guys, that's where our, our, our ministry comes into play. That's where our mission field comes into play. That's where our, our as we're going, we talked a little bit about the leader, in the leadership meeting here earlier. You know, as we're going, that's how that, all that comes into play. It's not about us doing good things to try to score brownie points with God. It's us doing good things because we believe that God is doing the work through us. And, and, and you will see people sacrifice unlimited, un, uh, uh, just limitless of things because they believe in what God is doing through their life. 
That's why you got great missionaries. That's why you got people who were just great soul winners at, at the, in their workplace. That's why you got people, you got students here that are just sharing their faith just unending because they believe this. And it's affecting their surrounding. And so if your faith is a living and being strengthened by your works, then those around you will benefit from your living faith. I read a quote today, and it just really made sense of it all. He says, you can't change nobody, but you may be the reason that somebody changes. That's pretty profound. And so God can use you in some capacity to change somebody else's life. And guys, this is what it's all about. It's not about works or, or these rules and regulations. It's basically an examination of life change. And you know, as Paul said it in Romans 12 too, or don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so transformation is the end result. It's not all the doing, but the transformation or the doing is a result of the transformation. And so you're going to hear, they're going to hear about and see about Christ because of your example. In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said it this way, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God your Father who is in heaven. But here's the deal. Faith without works is dead, but works without faith is useless. So many times we try to shove an eternal, what's the word I'm looking for? We try to shove an, an eternal element into a temporal space. And what I mean by that is, is like we try to do these things out of the flesh. You know, can a lost person go on a mission trip? Absolutely. Can they do all these Good things, maybe to feed the hungry and everything. Absolutely. But here's one thing about it about a believer that differentiates between a believer and an unbeliever participating in religious activities. It carries no eternal weight. It, that's, where, that's, where, that's where the line is drawn. Because you can do all these good things. I remember Jesus even said it. It said, many, There will be many of those who say, Hey, Lord, did we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all these things? Didn't we feed the hungry in your name? Did we give them water in your name? And he says, what, depart, me, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you? That, that, that's a tragedy. That somebody that, that, that worked their entire life to do all these good works, to only to hear that from, from Jesus. And so that's what, that's what separates the non-believer with the believer, because it, it carries no weight. But Works apart, but works apart from faith will have no eternal value. Look at John 6, 30, uh, 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are, are spirit and life. So basically, what we're doing in the Spirit, what we're doing out of an overflow of our relationship with Jesus Christ, is going to be the, the element that brings life and life eternal. So, life is the context of our faith, and it always has to do with eternity. And what I mean by that is, is like everything is going to be evaluated of what we did here on the earth. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, it 
And so we all must appear in front of the judgment seat to give an account of what we did here on this earth. But I do believe it's going to be judged according if we did it in the flesh or in the spirit. And guys, we don't know what kind of impact we're going to have until it's all said and done. That's why all the rewards, you know, we, we're going to see a, a great uh, judgment one day and all the rewards, awards are going to be handed out and they're going to, they said they're going to be given to the, uh, you know, given at the feet of Christ and, and, and we're going to worship Christ and give him glory for all that. You know why? Two reasons. Reason why that's going to happen at the end? Because there's a residual effect of eternal, um, uh, eternal works that's happening even now that, that probably started a long, long, long time ago. We're here right now talking about these things because of the works of Paul. And then also, we're going to give it to glory. Why? Because we did it through the role of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to give honor where honor's due because the good works only came from the guy who initiated in our, in our spirit. And so I want to close out with this. First of all, In sin, we were never meant to live forever in our flesh because we were born into sin. First of all, that's why we need to have eternal perspective. Our, for, our faith demands the Spirit. The Spirit demands our faith. And both demand a life that glorifies God. Let me say that one more time. Our faith demands the Spirit because we got to believe in what the Holy Spirit initiated. The Spirit demands our faith. There's no other way to please God but through faith. And our faith demands both a life that glorifies God. In closing, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Remember I opened up this message saying that this silly phrase that we used to say to each other when we were gooberheads in high school, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Listen to this passage, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. The old saying goes, the proof is in the pudding. I think the proof is in our, is in our works. There's nothing but a byproduct of our faith of the one who's doing the work through us. Guys, I want to, and I want you to, to have this attitude too, but I want to be a conduit of Christ working through me and nothing more. And I have to keep that in perspective because, guys, the more I try, and I'm just as guilty as the next person, I try to do great things in the flesh. And I, you know what happens? I wear out and I get frustrated. But when I do them in the spirit, it brings me great joy. But we're to be conduits of blessings for other people. And that's through just walking with Christ and allowing him to do the work through us. So, guys, if you're exhausted and trying to figure this Christianity thing out and working yourself and trying to do good things and trying not to do the things you're not supposed to and do the things you're supposed to and you're exhausted, just give it to God. And I know that sounds very cliche, but at the same time, it's that simple. Because every time I try to take control of it, I mess it up every time.
And I've done things in the flesh, even good things in the flesh. But I know the only thing that will have any kind of eternal value is the things that I do through the Spirit. So my challenge is to unite. Evaluate yourself. See if you're the faith. See if you're doing things through the role of the Holy Spirit and not doing it of yourselves. Let me pray. Dear God, I thank you uh, for your word. God, thank you for giving us instruction, but God, but giving us a glimpse of you. And I just pray, God, as we uh, sing this last song, that we will all self-examine ourselves to the point that we just say, Jesus, here's my life. God, that we were able to expose it. And God, that you would bring to the surface things that we need to deal with. God, whether it's conviction, God, whether it's comfort, I pray that your Holy Spirit would play the role that you are to play in our lives. And God, I just pray that we would confess. And God, that we would be willing to give up those things that we're hanging on to, that we're not willing to let go because we lack faith. So Lord, just use this time, God, as we continue to worship in Christ's name.